Senior executives know that to stay on top of your game, you need to constantly challenge and develop yourself. IMI's new senior executive experience delivers future-focused learning. Gain invaluable tools and insights in areas like organisation resilience and digital transformation to shape the future of your organisation. Visit imi.ie for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the IMI Talking Leadership Podcast. Today I'm joined by Larry Stapleton, who is an academic and international consultant in advanced information systems, organizational culture, and business. Larry was recently part of a panel at one of our senior leaders' breakfast briefing events, where we discussed generative AI. And on the back of that, I wanted to invite Larry to join the podcast so that we could delve a little bit deeper into some of these concepts. So Larry, if you could please introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a bit about your interest in artificial intelligence. Thanks very much for the invitation to join you this morning on this podcast on a really exciting topic. I first got interested in AI actually way back. Um, the uh, When I was first in industry as a, as a manager in a manufacturing uh, firm, and we manufactured very advanced technologies for the time, we were making big computer systems and computer service. Some, a lot of our orders were very, very large, multi-million dollar orders. Um, one of the challenges that we had was trying to customize every single order and then manufacture every single order to this the, the, the preferences of each of our customers. Our customers could be Philips of Eindhoven, companies of that size, but in corporate systems. And this was a real challenge. And what we did at the time was we identified AI as a way by which we could change the game around the supply chain and the way that we were able to respond to customer preferences. So when a customer ordered a product, we ran it through our AI. The AI then would configure the order for manufacturing and then our manufacturing sites, and the people working in our manufacturing sites then uh, reviewed the output from the AI and were able to manufacture each product to order. And it was a really powerful system. It was a game changer and gave us a really serious competitive advantage because we could respond so quickly to our customer, highly customized customer preferences, but also we could let the customer know what the sort of footprint of the technology was going to be um, on the way out, what the order was that we were going to deliver was going to look like. So they could then um, provision resources like data centers, you know, um, humidity controls and all those kinds of things to house the technology. So, it was um, so I was very interested in AI from the very beginning because of that um, application. Later, I got uh, when I left industry and got involved um, in the startup of a research center, um, working with companies trying to look at commercially uh, ways that we could um, support enterprise level processes within companies using digital tech. Again, we were looking closely at AI. We were specifically very interested in improving innovation processes around the engineering of products, new product design, um, trying to, to set up uh, production processes in responses to, to uh, uh, changes in a product design, maybe driven by regulators and that. So again, we were looking at AI there to try and help us in the, around the decisions associated with managing that kind of innovation. And at the time, we actually looked at some of the technologies, and I'm talking about the early 90s now, we were looking at the and, and mid 90s and right through into the 2000s. We were looking at the kinds of technologies that are getting people are getting excited about now, the, these neural networks and machine learning systems. But we 
be honest, we, we sort of looked away from them. We looked at them, we reviewed them, and we said, look, they're just, they're just not commercially ready yet. They were taking too long to train. Um, they, the, out, the outputs weren't predictable enough, and we actually ended up going with, with we did use AI, but different areas of AI um, in order to, um, in order to solve uh, real-life business problems with uh, our research partners out in industry. So I've been involved and interested in AI for a long time and I'm very excited that we're that it's sort of coming around again as another uh, in, in a new way as a potential game changer for industry. Thanks very much, Larry. As you said, you've been interested in AI for a long time. So you've got the background and you've obviously seen a lot of the earlier technology that I guess was a bit of a forerunner to what we're seeing now. Yeah. So I want to talk about what we are seeing now. And the first one of those is ChatGPT. And I think everyone wants to talk about ChatGPT. We're hearing all about it. It's this buzzword, but people are not sure exactly what it is and how it can be useful to them. So we'll go into the practical uses for business a little later. But just as an introduction, can you give us a short summary of exactly what ChatGPT is and what it does? Well, first of all, um, I mentioned these learning systems that we were looking at back in the 90s and 2000s and that were great in the lab, but we were struggling to find really good commercial applications for them. Um, but this, this chat GPT kind of technology starts to emerge in the last 10 years as, as the research progressed. And it's a form of AI that we call generative AI. And generative AI just refers to a capability of a machine to learn and then from learning about something, it can then generate some kind of content, maybe some, some original content in the case of ChatGPT, which makes it very exciting. So um, it takes us beyond the, the kind of, um, the sort of classification and predictive capabilities that you would have had in, in earlier AI applications. And we're now getting into uh, the capability of being able to generate uh, generate original content. And in order to understand what ChatGPT is, I'm going to just go through the, the, the word ChatGPT and break it down and hopefully make it um, uh, understandable for the listeners and maybe demystify it a little bit. So first of all, the, the, the chat piece, what, is the, what do we, why, is, why do they call it the ChatGPT as opposed to some other GPT? Well, it's a chatbot. It's and this is really, really important. And it's not getting a lot of attention in the, uh, in the media coverage, but I think it's part of what's making this a bit of a game changer is because it's a chatbot and it's a chat GPT. And they've been able to really improve the user experience. So if you go back to the early days working with these kinds of learning systems, you really, you know, you have to be so someone who's got a, you know, a higher degree in computer science and all of these other things to be able to work with it. Now you can interact with one of these advanced machine learning capabilities in a really easy to use and, and intuitive way. So the chat piece is really important. And I think, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's part of what's changed the game here. The GPT stands for Generative Pre-trained Transformer. And before you tune out people, okay, let me break it down. It's not as sort of, um, tough as it sounds in terms of what it means. So let's take the words and, and, and break it down. We start, and I'm going to work backwards. So let's start with transformer. 
what this thing does is it transforms inputs into outputs and it uses some kind of complex logic to do that. So it takes an input like a stream of English words and then it can convert it into French. Let's say that's a kind of a basic, or it can take an image in and um, upscale that image and transform the image so it's higher resolution. So that's the first thing. That's what the transformer is talking about there. And in the late 2010s, what was discovered was that the, these things couldn't, were, didn't just transform inputs into outputs, but were capable of generating completely original output from an input. So take, for example, you could feed into a transformer a um, Starry Night by Van Gogh, the, the artist, a famous painting like that, and, you could, and it would generate original Van Gogh-like uh, art um, but that was a completely new piece of art, but it was as if Van Gogh might have uh, generated. So that's a, that's a really important piece. And then the other two then, the P stands for pre-trained. That means that it's been trained on a very large data set. Think Wikipedia, something like that. Um, and this is part of what's what made these systems so powerful in the early days. We just didn't have the computer power or the capability to, to use those sort of vast data sets to train them. Now we can do that. So that makes them very uh, powerful in terms of how they how they operate because they've got these huge training sets that they're trained on and then the generative i've already mentioned means that it's going to generate an answer to any question it's going to be able to generate original text based on a troll of the web or it's going to be able to generate original content and this generative piece is something we're going to come back to again because it's part of some of the challenges around this technology so i hope that that demystifies chat GPT for the listeners. That definitely gives a better idea of what chat GPT is. Thanks very much, Larry. Now, the, my next question is a little bit more about how it actually works. So we've said that chat GPT can convert inputs into outputs, and it can also create original content. So for example, I can ask it to write me a poem about Dublin on a summer day, but how does it generate its responses in that way? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's um, if you understand this, this uh, idea of being able to, to learn from data, what it's doing is it's, it's, it's being trained on a huge amount of data, and from that data then it's able to uh, appreciate, too strong a word, but, but it's able to apply reasoning to, to take that input and produce output. Now, one of the, and I, I've covered the sort of GPT piece of it, but I wanna talk a little bit about an, another aspect of these technologies. And it's part of what's creating some of the concern around the technologies as well as why they're so powerful. And that's the training piece and how that training happens. So a lot of these technologies are using something called GANs, Generative Adversarial Networks. And again, stay with me, okay? I know that sounds like, a, Great big load of ter terminology. We and the IT people love the terminology, and other people don't. But I'm going to break it down and explain exactly what that is because it's it's not that hard to understand how it works, how it basically works. So imagine, right? You, it's an adversarial network. So what do we mean by that? That means that's that there, there's actually two machine learning systems opposing each other. Okay, that's essentially what's going on here. One of them is trying to fool the other. So let me give you an example of what I of how this might work. Imagine that there's a one network, one machine learning system, one machine learning network 
is trying to create counterfeit 20 euro notes. And the other um, network is trying to discriminate between fake money and real money. So they both had some initial training and then we set them against each other. So the first network generates a 20 euro note and the discriminator network says that's not a 20 euro note. It compares it to a real 20 euro note and says that's not a 20 euro note. And 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 uh, so the, the, the system rejects the uh, attempt to counterfeit the money. This process just goes on and on. And each through each cycle of the process, both systems are learning. But what we need to focus on is the one that's generating the counterfeits. So the, the one that's generating the counterfeits is trying to fool the one that's trying to pick up on the counterfeit money. The discriminator, the one that's trying to pick up on the counterfeit money, has got a real money and it's got this counterfeit that it's presented with. The system is trained when the discriminator picks the real money as the counterfeit over the counterfeit money, in essence, if you think of it that way. That's the adversarial nature of the network. One is trying to fool the other. And if you think about how that works, it, you can understand how that makes it very powerful and how the learning process is very powerful. So once, once the discriminator is, is fooled, we say the system is trained. That's quite clear in terms of how the technology works and you know it's all about learning and training that system. I want to move on to some practical real world applications for ChatGPT and for other types of generative AI technology. So I'll let you in on a secret. When I was writing the questions for this podcast, I went onto ChatGPT and I said, give me some questions about ChatGPT for a podcast. And it spat out a whole list for me. Some of them weren't interesting, some weren't relevant, but some were. So I used them. And I'm not going to say which ones were ChatGPT generated. <laughs> Maybe people can comment and see if they can tell the difference. But what I'm getting at is that ChatGPT is a good starting point for certain work and it's a tool. When I look at it from a marketing perspective, for example, if I'm writing a content article, I can go onto ChatGPT and use it to help me get started. So what are some of the other practical business applications that generative AI technology can be used for? This is a really great question. And, and it's why I'm so excited about the technology, because I, that they're, we're really just discovering all the different applications that we can, we can apply this to in ways that, that uh, create real value. Um, just to stay with the with the, the sort of marketing and and media side of it that, that you've touched on, I mean, imagine just let's say that we can now generate original content. We, we don't have to imagine it; we can do it. Um, so we can gener generate a new, let's say, a new Picasso, and um, and in doing, if we, if we can do that, imagine what we can do with content. And imagine how fast we can do things with content. So, for example, we want to start a marketing campaign, and part of that might be a, a video. We can now generate an original video very, very quickly from um, using these kinds of technologies. And that video might be the one that we decide to go with, or we can we can edit and go and 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 um, uh, dicky it up if you like, and then uh, launch it. I mean, in my own company, New Futures Consulting, we're just going through a, a, a period where we're, we're relaunching the website. And um, 
we started use it by using AI to help us to to um, generate you know some some branding for the website to look at the UX and so on, the user experience and so on, and and that was kind of a, almost a starting point for the web design piece of it. So there's some really exciting things we can do around the um, around the marketing piece. But if we if we broaden it out and imagine a customer uh, engaging with our products, so um, let let's take something very different. Let's think about um, an insurance company, let's say that is um, launching uh, new products, let's say, new policies, and the insurance company is looking at the insurance sector and saying. I really want to change the game on the insurance sector. I want to get a competitive advantage uh, in the sector. So this is kind of higher level, um, kind of what we might call paradigm shift level change or disruptive change for the sector. So I know companies um, operating in Asia and Africa, for example, who've identified the, a problem in the sector that they, they believe exists around the customer experience. And they, they, there are two things that they've identified. One thing that they've identified is that the customers um, are wary of these policies that they get generated and that get generated by the insurers, and that they're worried about things like small print. And then they're also worried about the claim side. That's the second part. Will the will the insurer uh, drag out the claim? Will they will they um, process the claim quickly and so on? So. And part of the, the lack of trust as well has to do, it's, it's not just a lack of trust, but it's also a discomfiture around the policies. The policies that often get gener have generated traditionally in the insurance sector are sometimes perceived to be um, quite blunt instruments. They're sort of general level policies, but not very personalized in a way a customer might want. So if you take, um, there's a, a new insure tech company like Pineapple, uh, who's operating in South Africa now, they just launched and they, they have AI engines in, in their solutions. They can now offer highly personalized um, policy products to their customers um, by item, by risk. And those policies can now, they, they, they can now give a biddable quote, in a, excuse me, a bindable quote in 30 seconds. They can um, have a policy mobilized in 60 seconds. And what's really exciting using, for example, um, uh, graphical processing technology, in other words, they're able to process images using this kind of AI, they're able to settle claims in 60 seconds. That's not 60 minutes or 60 days, that's 60 seconds uh, on their mobile app. And I think this sort of personal, personal experience, this sort of, which is born of, a, of, a, of an exchange between a machine backed by really great organizational processes. We mustn't lose sight of the human side because it's not always going to work well. We need to back that up with, with the human side of things, really well-trained um, and empathetic human beings in the back of all of this and supporting all of this. But in that kind of a user interface situation, you, you can imagine how that can really drive product design and create great value for, for that business. And it's a game changer. And it's not just the insure techs that are doing this. We see companies like NTUC Income in Southeast Asia, um, that they're uh, you know, really traditional companies who are pivoting in this direction too, to much more personalized experiences, learning from the customer almost in real time as to what customer preferences, what the customer's preferences might be, learning where the pain points are, and then addressing those pain points. Sometimes with human beings, it's not all going to be about AI. And I mean, it's like all of these digital transformations, 
they will often be accompanied by uh, a need for cultural change within the organization and new leadership styles to kind of really liberate performance in organizations. So those are just little tasters as to what is emerging in this transformational capability around AI. It's not just going to be what a lot of people are talking about, which is kind of generating content and media, but also that learning piece and that user experience piece and really leveraging that as an engine for, for business value. I think that's really exciting. I think it's fascinating, Larry, that AI has all of these different kinds of applications, because I think that everyone has the tendency to just think about it from their own roles perspective. So for example, I would have only been thinking about it from a content creation point of view, but to see things like this pineapple company, and I've just looked them up, they look really modern and really fresh. And I mm. guess that when you're you're making use of AI technology to do certain things, you can shift your, your own human focus onto other aspects, you know, and create a, a better experience overall. So I do I do want to talk a bit about something that I think a lot of people are concerned about but might not want to ask. And it's about the potential replacement of human workers by AI technology. So do you foresee any kind of scenarios in the future where some of the creative fields, for example, things like video production and photography and the customer experience side of things, do you foresee any kind of scenario where those roles in the future are just replaced by AI technologies? Or do you think that they'll still need to be largely a human backbone behind the technology? I, I, I think that we can learn from previous game-changing um, technologies where technologies have really transformed sectors or multiple sectors. We can learn from that those experiences, and we've had them before over the last since the Industrial Revolution started really back at the end of the 18th century, we, we've seen like uh, quite a number of real game-changing um, and, and uh, technological advances, and we're seeing another one now. And what the, what the big lesson from all of those has been something along these lines. There is a lot of disruption in the workforce there, um, and there's always an accompanying kind of conversation at society level around you know layoffs around mass um masses of people being unemployed what are we going to do with them and all of this what has tended to happen has been something quite different what has tended to happen is people uh, um will find that new roles open up this technology is going to um generate a whole new suite of new kinds of of work that is going to be needed um, both in the regulatory side and the oversight side, as well as in the in other aspects of business where the, where business is, is um, generating value for itself and where, where public sector organizations are uh, being a, able to improve services, for example, to to their citizens. So I think what I'm what I think we're starting into is another transition and it will be painful for some sectors. For sure, you've touched on a few of them but new opportunities are going to open up. And this is going to put, a, put pressure on our education systems. And I'm really excited that the IMI uh, are, are one of the, the first out the gate on this, where we're, we're launching new programs. We're gonna talk a little bit about that at the end of the session to try and support Irish industry and Irish business and Irish public sector organizations as they make this transition. But I think we're, go we're going to see a need for change 
particularly at third level and in universities, as to how we um, how we deliver education, what kind of what kind of educational experiences our students are having having in order to prepare them for this new world. And we don't have a lot of time to do that. We need to move really quickly. I also think that um, the what's really important here, and I'm absolutely convinced about this. Not everyone agrees with me, but I'm convinced about this. What what I've seen happen when We've used these machine learning and artificial intelligence technologies in really fundamental ways is in many sectors, not every sector, but in many sectors, it tends to highlight the the power of those kinds of human intelligences and capabilities that make humans amazing. So, for example, emotional intelligence, these machines, they don't have any emotional capabilities. So emotional intelligence, being able to engage with a customer or a, who's having a, a difficult time navigating their way through our service, for example, that's going to take a distinct, a distinct set of human capabilities that a machine is going to find really hard, if not impossible, to emulate. And even when it does emulate them, when it does look like it's doing it, it's not really doing it. And, and I think humans will, will still um, be – will actually that role will become really, really important. And in fact, for many industries and for many companies, that might be their differentiator because everybody's going to be able to get access to this technology, but getting access to really empathetic customer service agents, for example, getting access to people who are able to draw on human creativity in a way that a machine struggles, all of those things, dealing with ambiguity, for example, all of those things and uncertainty, all that's going to be really important. And what you're hearing here are leadership qualities, human leadership qualities. And I think that's going to be pushed to the fore. And we need to, we really, we need to transform our education system here in Ireland. Um, and in order to, to focus more on those kinds of other distinctly human intelligences and capabilities, whilst also learning how to deploy this technology and work with this technology in ways that add real value in society. Thanks very much, Larry. Sorry. I guess the key takeaway really is that we need to focus on our leadership capabilities and our human qualities, especially that emotional intelligence piece. I think the whole transition to artificial intelligence is so interesting. And I would liken it to when search engines became really prevalent, you know, kind of the late 90s, early 2000s. And I guess there is a scenario where artificial intelligence technology could become just as prevalent in the future where we're using it multiple times a day the same way that we would use platforms like Google. And I know that ChatGPT is just one of the generative AI tools out there, though it is the one that everyone kind of speaks about the most. And I was recently on our IMI short program on digital disruption and transformation, and Tony Moroni touched on the fact that there are tools that can generate all sorts of other things, not just the written word. So for example, photorealistic imagery, and there are tools out there that can generate music on Spotify. So can you give us a very short summary of some of those additional artificial intelligence tools? Yeah, I, I think that's um, something that maybe is not getting enough focus is the beyond ChatGPT or other areas of, of development. So for example, at our research center in the Southeastern Technological University, we work with other areas of AI, um, including smart data and, and knowledge models. So 
if you look at if you look at generative AI and you look at ChatGPT, they use these things called large language models. So what they are essentially is a um, their engine. What what's driving them underneath is an appreciation of language, and they try to predict the next word or something like that. Um, but knowledge models and and being able to to describe knowledge, human knowledge, in a way that a machine can actually understand and reason is another area of AI um, that that has is really um, potential game changer and really powerful. So let me give you an example. Imagine you're, imagine you're a medical devices company, um, of which we have some terrific medical devices companies here in Ireland, and you're developing new products. And But when you're developing new products, you have to deal with lots of different kinds of knowledge. So you've got you know, the engineering knowledge associated with manufacturing a product. You've got biological knowledge associated with maybe um, how that medical device is going to interact with the human body. You may also have not have to deal with knowledge associated with the regulation of these technologies in that specific field. You may have to deal with clinical knowledge, all different kinds of knowledge. So what we're, what we're seeing now is the emergence of models of knowledge which can enable us to to map across different areas so that we can actually understand and build products, taking into account all these different vocabularies, all these different um, fields of, of, of uh, scholarship and um, engineering and science. And in this way, we, we, we're beginning to see uh, the use of machines to help us to make sure, for example, that we're within regulatory guidelines on a medical product that we're, we're using best-in-class technologies for that medical product and, and so on and so forth. So um, uh, knowledge models like SNOMED and others are really, really powerful in terms of helping us to find our way around very, very large knowledge bases where scientists are trying to, to solve problems. And I think that's going to be an area that we're going to see as, as that kind of technology converges with our sort of chat GPT type technologies. I think we're going to see a a game change in areas like medical devices, in medicine, in um, e-health, all of that area, but not just that area. You can, your listeners are probably thinking about their own companies, thinking, hey, we could really use that because it's not just limited to, to, to the area of medicine. There's lots of different areas um, that can, can exploit that kind of technology, and that's just one kind of technology. There's a lot of other um, areas of AI that we can exploit. AI is a really powerful uh, capability. I mean, another one um, that we've worked with with uh, some of our friends in in Greece. There's a, a group in Greece uh, under Professor Petros Grumpos working on something called fuzzy cognitive maps, where they are able to map business processes across enterprises into a machine, and then the machine is able to guide people and and, and highlight to people when a, when they might do something um, in a business process. They've even used it. Uh, in in controlling temperature controls in large buildings and all sorts of ways. So there's just so many different applications, um, and they're all very exciting. And I think the future, Farah, because people are probably, maybe your heads are beginning to spin as you're listening to me here. And certainly sometimes I think my own head is beginning to spin. But I think the future is going to be a lot about the convergence of all of these technologies together. So it's... ChatGPT for sure, these technologies are game changers, but as they interact with other emerging technologies, things like smart contracts and blockchain technologies, things like those knowledge models I mentioned, and as we begin to learn 
how we can leverage all of these. And we are, and at the same time, are paying attention to how we set up our organizations, that we're, we're, we're being mindful of the unique capabilities of our human beings, because that's going to be the differentiator for a lot of companies. Then I think we're, we're, we're entering into a really exciting time with all the uh, challenges and opportunities that that will bring. This is such an interesting topic and there's so much that goes into it. I think we could continue all day, but we'll leave we it could. there. <laughs> we'll leave it there before people's heads do start to spin. But Larry, you did mention um, we are running a program at IMI in July all about this artificial intelligence technology. So can you give us a quick summary of that program? Oh, I'm so excited to tell you about this. Um, you, you mentioned Tony Moroni earlier, and Tony, uh, as you know, he's a real expert in digital disruption, digital leadership, the metaverse. Um, and uh, Tony and I work quite closely together in, in, in programs in the IMI, and we, we've we've got together, and we're we're going to we're going to run a wonderful session on AI for C-suite, the 26th of July. Put it in your diaries. 26th of July, half day session. We're going to start early in the morning, and Tony and I are going to um walk business leaders so it's aimed at c-suite um it's we're going to walk business leaders through some of some of what this technology can do what are some of the issues around regulation and also help you to begin to start thinking about what you and your organization are going to do um with this technology whether it's going to be paradigm shift level like companies like pineapple and ntuc or whether it's going to be lower level automation whether it's going to be in the customer experience or somewhere else in the business um, and what we're going to do is give you a taste and give you a real sense of what this, this tech is all about. So we're really excited to run it. Um, and we're, it's going to be the beginning, I think, of a number of programs that we're, we're, we're hoping to roll out in, in the coming um, near term at the IMI. So 26th of July, it's a Wednesday. Um, we're starting early and we're, we've got a limited number of places. So uh, sign up for that join us and um and we will we will do more of this really um ai for c-suite thank you so much larry for all of your insights today and for developing this program with us for c-suite leaders so if you do want more information on that you can visit imi.ie and if you have any thoughts on artificial intelligence that you'd like to share with us or how it's benefiting your business now or how you're expecting it to benefit your business in the future, do get in touch with us on LinkedIn and let us know your thoughts. You can subscribe to the IMI Talking Leadership Podcast on SoundCloud or your preferred podcast provider to ensure that you don't miss an episode. Until next time.